John uh, chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. I will let you uh, remain seated. Um, We will uh, read together verses 22 to 44 and then jump ahead uh, to verse 66. So if you would, please give your attention uh, to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. The other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus wasn't there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal and then they said to him, we must, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him because He had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, this, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Now down to verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? 
He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, as we uh, come to this, your word, uh, that you would use it to uh, prick our consciences, uh, strengthen our faith and hope and confidence in Christ. Uh, Use it to uh, conform us more and more after his image as you were at work in us uh, by it, through it, in our own hearts and lives. And we pray all of this to the honor and glory of Christ and in his name. Amen. I assume some of you uh, will remember, and those of you that don't, some of you that can't say I remember, you probably still know Johnny Lee's uh, popular country song, uh, Looking for Love. Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Some of you remember. I'm glad to see those mouths moving. I was looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces, searching their eyes, looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of. In some ways, I think that's the way we approach other things like, maybe not love, but significance, value, meaning, Uh, purpose, fulfillment. We're looking in all too many places for our own worth and value and security and and, in our things and the things we can do or the things that we have or the things that we um, used to be able to do or any number of things. We're looking for meaning and value and purpose and fulfillment in too many places. And in some ways, that's what we have illustrated for us in This passage. First, I want you to to notice the confusion of the crowd. Uh, And the reality is the crowd is actually confused about several things. Uh, For one, they're confused uh, about the work of Jesus. Jesus has literally just fed the 5,000 as the heading in your Bible will say. Of course, the text itself tells us that there were 5,000 men. So presumably... 10,000 people, 15, 20, the number could be somewhere, anything more than five. With five big fat yeast rolls and a couple of Atlantic mackerel. That, that's what you're feeding 5,000 people with. And in fact, there was so much that they had 12 baskets full of leftovers that the disciples had to, to figure out what to do. With those things. And, and after that, the disciples hopped in their boats. Jesus went off by himself. And the crowd saw that. The crowd knew that. And the passage tells us the, the crowd knew okay, there was a boat, there was one boat, and the disciples left in that boat, and Jesus wasn't with them. And they woke up the next morning, no Jesus. Where is he? Where does he, he run off to? And so they hopped in boats that perhaps had been blown by the storm. Perhaps other people had traveled there. Uh, Whatever the case, more boats showed up during the night and they traveled to Capernaum to find Jesus. And then they asked this question in verse 25. And the question, quite honestly, doesn't make much sense. See, the right question is, Jesus, 
how did you get here? They said, when did you get here? When did you come here? That's the question you ask when you betray the fact that you had hoped to catch Jesus before he left for something more. When did you get here? We expected to see you still over there on this high plain, this mountain, whatever, um, where you fed the five. We thought we would still be able to catch you because, you know, the reality is, Jesus, we need more stuff. That. Jesus' accusation, right? They, they wanted the bread. You see in verse 26, you're, you're only following me because I fed your bellies. You're only following after me because I filled your stomach with bread. You want me for the stuff that I can do for you. You want me for, um, you're only interested in me, Jesus says, because of the, the cool things I can do for you. They just wanted more bread or something like it. In the previous passage, they wanted to make him their king. They wanted more things from him. They saw how he could serve them. And the reality is many of us treat Jesus just like that, don't we? We're the chef in the kitchen. I open the spice rack. I get out the spices I want to cook with what I want. And when I'm finished, I'll put them back. And when I need them again, I'll go back and get them again. That's how we treat Jesus. You know, the reality is, Jesus, I'm just going to leave you sitting right over here. And that's all fine and good. But when I need you again, when I need you to do this thing for me again, I'll come and get you. And then I'll put you back in the rack, as it were. Jesus says, look, you... You ate the bread, but you didn't see the sign that the bread was. You're asking me not because you saw signs, verse 26, but because you had your fill of the loaves. I mean, they they ask him, what what sign do you give? And he, you know, if it were me, right, obviously I could never survive as a as a Messiah for anybody. But the temptation to say, guys, what do you mean? What sign do I, what did you eat yesterday and how? Like that's what they missed. What sign do you do? Verse 30. I've said this before and you'll hear it a thousand times. As long as I'm here, you'll hear it. I don't know how many times again, but signs aren't the thing. Right? Nobody stops to take a picture of Grand Canyon, turn left. That's your left, my right. I'm aware of where I'm pointing. Grand Canyon, turn here. Nobody takes that picture. Because you're taking a picture of the Grand Canyon. You're going to wait and see the thing. The sign isn't the thing. It simply tells you where to see the thing. And Jesus says, look, I... I fed 5,000. You had the bread. That is the sign that I am the Messiah. And you couldn't see it. You were so distracted by the bread, the sign that you thought the bread was the thing. And that my job is just here to give you more things. And to, to meet your need. 
There are people who want Jesus for what he can do for them, for the, the wealth or the, the honor or the benefit that he can give to them. But Jesus reminds us we are called to want him. We're not called to look at the gift, but the giver of the gift. The gift merely tells us of his love and mercy towards us. The crowd's confused about what Jesus has come to do, about his work. In fact, they even think, verse 28, that they can save themselves. Tell us what to do. Just tell us what are the works of God. Just tell us what we're supposed to to do, to be doing the work. Give us the checklist, right? You go to the grocery store with a list. I go to the grocery store with a list. And still manage to get things that aren't on the list. The ice cream is going to be on the list whether you write it there for me or not. And as you get the things, you check the box. You check the little ticky box next to it. Maybe you do it in the app on your phone, right? I've got, I mean, they've got the Publix app. I'm shopping in the new Publix. And as I get my stuff, I click it. I tap it. It goes away. Why? Because it's already in my cart. I don't need it anymore. That's the way they thought they could get their redemption. If you'll just tell me what to do, how high is the bar that I have to clear? What are the items on the list that I need to check off in order to earn to do the things that God wants me to do so that I can be saved? We know people, perhaps even we ourselves are tempted to approach the Christian life just like that. We end up putting our confidence in the things that we do, the boxes we check, the hurdles we clear rather than in Christ himself in our place. The crowd is confused about the work of Jesus, but they're also confused about who Jesus is, about the the person of Jesus. They're struggling to get past the fact Still, that Jesus called God his father. He keeps saying this father word. I've come from the father. What do you mean the the father and I are one? What do you mean you've come to do the, the will of your father who has sent you? Jesus, we know your parents. We know Mary and Joseph. We know your brothers and sisters. We know them. They think of him. As just a guy. Just a man. Just some dude from Nazareth. That that should tell us something, by the way. Just how actually human he was. That those around him couldn't see past. This is just that guy that works down at the local carpentry shop with his dad, Joseph, and... We know him. We know who he is. He couldn't possibly be the son of God. He's the son of Joseph. He couldn't possibly have come from heaven to earth. He couldn't possibly have come from the heavenly father because we know who he is. We know his family. And in some ways, the crowd reminds us of that little boy on the tricycle in The Incredibles. That boy keeps showing up three or four times in The Incredibles. 
And there's one scene where Mr. Incredible, as Bob Parr, gets out of his car and kind of slams the door shut. And he realizes there's, a, there's somebody there. And he turns around and looks and he sees there's that boy on the tricycle. And Mr. Incredible says, what are you waiting for? And his answer is, I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. The crowd is waiting for something amazing from Jesus. They've lost track of who he is. They've lost lost track of why he has come. And they've missed the fact that he just did something amazing in front of their eyes. They want the next sign. Because for them, it appears, the last one has never been good enough. In fact, they're impressed, verses 30 and 31, with Moses. Moses gave us bread, fed us for years in the wilderness. What you got? That's literally their question, right? What sign do you have that we may believe in you? Because, Jesus, you have this really important one, this really impressive one that you have to do better than, right? You have to beat manna in the wilderness. And Jesus goes, well, I just gave you bread. Oh, and by the way, Moses didn't give you that bread. My father did. Oh, and by the way, I'm that bread. That bread was always pointing to me. The problem is... They want to be judge and jury of what qualifies as amazing enough to impress them. We're waiting for something amazing, I guess. And you want to say, but more amazing than feeding 5,000 plus with five big fat yeast rolls and a couple of fish. Yes, that's not good enough. We need something more amazing than that. That was yesterday. We need something more amazing than that. What would make the list for you? What's the thing out there that that if Jesus only did blank, then I would believe? That's what people say. That's what we do. We sort of lay this thing out there that said, well, I would believe if only Jesus would do blank. What do you put in your blank? What's the thing that you're convinced would be amazing enough to warrant putting your faith and trust in Christ? The crowd's confused. They're confused about the work of Jesus and who he is, the person of Jesus. But we also see, second, the cause of their confusion. Jesus exposes their hearts. He exposes the the reason why they're so confused, the reason why they're not able to see the signs, the reason why they're not able to to turn and trust Christ based on the things that they have seen. The problem is their heart. The problem is their eyes are blind and their heart is a heart of stone. Did you notice verse 37? Verse 37 Um, Jesus points out that the crowd is unable and unwilling to hear, to see, to trust in Christ. 
In verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Look down again in verse 44, and we find something similar. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you hear the language Jesus uses? Jesus is announcing to the crowd, you can't because you're stuck in your sin. Because your guilt, your shame, your, your sin, you're blinded, your heart is unwilling and unable. In fact, even the word draw in verse 44, it's used in other places in the New Testament to describe the disciples, the apostles, the fishermen drawing nets up out of the water. It carries with it the notion of dragging, of bringing that which can't or won't come of its own volition, its own will. And in fact, you notice in verse 63, Jesus goes further. It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no use at all in discerning and understanding the things of the spirit. In other words, the problem, the, the cause of their confusion is the exact same cause every person ever has ever had. It's because of the darkness of our own sinful condition. Our hearts are unable, their hearts were unable, their eyes unwilling, their minds incapable of grasping the things of God. Now, this isn't new information for us though, right? We've already seen this. Because back in John chapter 3, right after that verse that so many people know that you can see on signs at Major League Baseball games, right? John 3.16, written printed on the... We all know John 3.16, but do you know verse 19? Because it says that the light came into the world and the world didn't know him, didn't recognize him. Why? Because they loved darkness more than light. If you were to put, now listen, I don't mean to start an argument, but I'm about to start an argument. If we show up for a church lunch and there are only two pie options, one of them is French silk pie, the other one is pecan pie, or if you're from South Carolina, pecan pie. And you offer me both. Do I have the freedom to choose either one I want? Yes, you're giving me that freedom. But here's the catch. I love chocolate. I hate pecans. I will choose the right one, the French silk pie, every single time. Why? Because it's a, the condition of my heart. That's exactly what Jesus is saying about this crowd. So are you saying then we don't have free will? Well, can I steal from Bill Clinton? It depends on what you mean by free will. It depends on what your definition of free will is. Do I think every single individual in our fallen sinful condition has the moral ability to choose Jesus if given the option? No, I do not think that. But the reason is because our hearts love the darkness. 
Because our hearts need to be replaced. Do I think we have the absolute freedom to choose exactly what our hearts want to choose? Yes. And apart from God's grace, that will not be Jesus. Speaking of, have you ever paid attention to the fourth verse of Charles Wesley's hymn, And Can It Be? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Even Wesley recognized he could never follow Christ apart from the grace of God in Christ. Otherwise, grace wouldn't be that amazing. It would just be kind of pretty good. And we'd have to do some changing to some hymn titles in our hymn books. The cause of the crowd's confusion is their own sinful condition. And that is true for each and every one of us or has been true for each and every one of us. Rendered incapable by our own sin and guilt to see and to turn and to trust Christ. That's what makes salvation amazing. That's what makes grace amazing. That's what makes our salvation all of His grace and not at all by our works. In fact, that's why we have Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because we needed a Savior to come and sovereignly accomplish our salvation for us. But here's the thing. We see the crowd's confusion. We see the cause of their confusion. Finally, I want you to see the confidence we have in Christ. Did you notice, did you notice verses 37 to 40? You know, it's easy to get sidetracked by the father drawing some or, or paying attention to, to these words or those words. But I want you to notice. Count subsets. I was a math major. We're engineering world. Count subsets for me, would you? Pay attention to those the Father gives to the Son. Those the Father draws. And just how many of those people will actually be raised up at the last day? The point is, it's the same people. Jesus cannot, will not lose anyone all that the Father gives him will absolutely come to him. And nobody gets lost along the way. Nobody slips through his hands. Nobody gets forgotten. Nobody gets left behind. Nobody gets jumps out of his grasp. grasp. Any who come to Christ will be raised up on the last day. You see it over and over again in verses 37 to 40. Do you hear it? Jesus doesn't come to make salvation possible. He comes to make salvation inevitable for those whom the Father gives Him. There are people out there who think that Jesus died to make the Father love them. The reality is, according to verses 38 to 40, they're on the same page as it were. I've come from heaven to do the will of my Father who sent me, and the, His will is that I should lose none that He has given me. 
I'm accomplishing the very salvation He has wanted me to accomplish. He has sent me to accomplish to save the very people He wants me to save. They're on the same page. They're out to accomplish the same mission. And so secure is that salvation that Jesus can say, while still on earth, now this is more than 2,000 years ago, and the last day is still in our future. But because Jesus knows the end from the beginning, He can say, I will for certain raise Him up. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the one who, when we feed on Him, we live. When we feed on Him, we have eternal life. When we feed on Him, He will raise us up at the last day to be with Him. And you will never hunger or thirst again. The work of Christ is sure and certain salvation for all who trust in Him. What's, the, what's our response when people start to walk away or when people say they don't believe? How, what should be our response? Well, I want you to notice Jesus' response. And, and we see this actually three different verses, verse 47, 51, and 55. What does Jesus do in the face of those who don't believe? Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Verse 51, um, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Verse 55, my flesh is true. Uh, verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Jesus, oh no, verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks the blood, has eternal life, I will raise him up at the last day. Do you see it? What does Jesus do in the face of, of unbelief? He offers the gospel. He preaches Jesus. He preaches himself. He's the free offer of the gospel. Any who come to him can and certainly will be raised up at the last day. He didn't change the message to make it culturally acceptable or make it more exciting and make it more palatable. But he also doesn't withhold the message from those who need it or from those who have rejected it. Because you see that play out. Even Judas will follow him for the remainder of his ministry. crowds looking for meaning in all the wrong places. And when finally they leave, they say, this is the wrong place. I need a new place. I have to go find a place. And so they left. And Jesus posed the question to the twelve, do you want to leave too? And Peter has the wisdom to say, where would we go? We can find salvation. We can find deliverance. We can find hope. We can find security. We can find confidence and, and, and meaning and purpose and value in you and you alone. You alone have the words of eternal life. We couldn't go anywhere else because 
anything else out there offers us nothing. Jesus, you alone offer us everything. Where would you go? Where have you gone? Where will you go? Are you trusting in Christ? Have you found in Him the words of eternal life? Or are you still stuck in your sin-caused confusion about Him, unwilling to give up the fleeting pleasures of this world for the eternal treasures of Christ? Because the offer comes to you, right? Trust in Christ and He will save you, He will deliver you, and He will raise you up at the last day. But this passage also offers a bit of encouragement to those who are trusting Christ that we may, like the twelve, one day have to stand alone. When others turn away and walk away and say, no, this is the wrong place. I'm looking for meaning in all the wrong places and Jesus is still the wrong place. I got to go find something else. Will you stand with him? When his commands stand out as contrary to the culture around us, when the path lies through dark, difficult providences, when everybody else turns away, This passage says, not only would Peter say, where else can we go? This passage says there is nowhere else to go. He alone will raise you up at the last day. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that you are at work uh, about the business of redeeming sinners, redeeming Rebels redeeming people who are guilty of cosmic treason like those of us right here in this room. Uh, We thank you for a salvation that is all of your grace and not by our works. That we can celebrate your grace and mercy to us. Rather than the our own efforts, our own attempts at ticking the boxes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for taking on flesh, for stooping so low as to condescend from eternity at the right hand of the Father to take on flesh and to live under the law that you gave, to suffer the punishment that our sin deserves, to endure all that you did, your humiliation in our place, that you would stoop so low to raise us up. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would use us to take that gospel message to people around us who are still looking for meaning in all the wrong places. And they need you. And we pray all this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.